you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have another very interesting show. We have one of my favorite people of all time joining me today, Deepak Chopra. Uh, Deepak is the co-founder of the Chopra Institute for Wellbeing, the founder of the Chopra Foundation, and as everyone really knows, is a world-renowned pioneer in integrative medicine and personal transformation. He is board certified in internal medicine, endocrinology, and metabolism. He's the author of some 90 books translated into over 43 languages, including numerous New York Times bestsellers. And his most recent book, which is the subject of today's show, is Metahuman, Unleashing Your Infinite Potential. His resume goes on and on. It would fill books in itself. So we're going to just hop right in with Deepak and ask you a little bit about the book. And first of all, I'll just tell you, I'm enjoying it immensely. Oh, thank you. Truly, thank you very truly. much. I feel it's transformative. It is taking, which I know, of course, is your underlying goal here. It is taking a lot of the wisdom of the traditions, largely of the East Epoch, but not at all limited to, and giving a scientific perspective and body of literature that supports some of these fundamental concepts that have been with us for literally thousands of years. Yeah, they're, they're what um, Aldous Huxley called the perennial philosophies. So, yeah. yes, Western too. Yeah. Schopenhauer and Kant and Heidegger and Wittgenstein and yes. many others have spoken of these same elements of truth, as have the Eastern philosophers and sages of the great wisdom traditions of the East. Yes, exactly. So there was something in particular that I would really love to ask you about that's been puzzling me for so long, and what a better opportunity than to ask you, the uh, the guru of these kinds of ideas. Uh, there is, of course, what we have as our biochemical, electrochemical, biomechanical reality that just, it's the autonomic nervous system. It's what just goes and actually also drives nature, all of biology and all the ecosystems. Then step in the human mind, which you're, you know, so expert in. What is that relationship and how far can the mind, if you will, bend that autonomic reality um, according to its own, let's say, our will? How far can we go and what is that? How would you describe that interface of that relationship? Well, you know, what you're asking is a very fundamental question which science has still not answered and that is, uh, frequently referred to as the mind-brain or the mind-body problem mm-hmm. and um, also mind-matter problem. So if you take a simple example um, of um, right now, if I asked you to lift your arm up, 
you start with an intention because you you know you can't lift your arm up unless you have the intention to mm-hmm. do so. The intention is vis- invisible; it has no material uh, aspect to it, and yet everything that follows that intention is in the realm of what we call the material. You have electrochemical activity in the brain, then you have nerve impulses going down the nerves to Mm -hmm. your arms, and then you have the muscular contraction of the arms, and finally the arm lifts up. Now, how does that happen? And, you know, because first intention is invisible and non-material, and everything else is at least just... uh, you know, depending on the kinds of instruments you use, visible and so-called in the material world. So if we go by this, that these are two different um, modalities of reality, mm-hmm. then one, how does one interact with the other? And that is, an, uh, given our current science and the way we do science, it's unanswerable because it violates... Uh, even the simple laws of conservation of energy and what is, um, how is the invisible becoming the visible. So if you go to the philosophies that we just mentioned, non-dualism, mm-hmm. they say reality is one. Whether it's physical or invisible, it's still the one thing. And now then there's argument about what is that one thing? Is it matter? And the fact is, no one has ever shown the existence of an inert substance called matter. Matter is made of molecules, and molecules are atoms, and atoms are particles, and particles are waves of probability in an invisible realm. So if you go by just this is all material, I, in my view, that's a superstition. So then you can say it's all energy. Well, matter and energy is the same thing. Yeah. You can go even further. It's all information. But, you know, when you seriously start to question these concepts, you realize that matter, energy, and information are actually human concepts, human concepts in human consciousness of um, a mode of experience and knowing, um, which um, can only give you the following experiences, sensations, images, perceptions, feelings, and thoughts. Mm -hmm. The collection of this is what we interpret as the material world. But inherently, the world is not material. It's a projection of the conditioned mind, the human mind, the one we see. You know, butterflies have their own experience, and snakes have their own experience, and other living species have their own experience. But at the root of all these experiences is an infinite consciousness, which is without cause, which is fundamental, which is irreducible, which then modifies itself into different modes of knowing and experience that we call reality. As humans, once we realize this, then we can change our collective nightmare into a pleasant dream. Right Mm -hmm. now the nightmare is climate change, extinction of species, uh, mechanized death, instruments of war and terrorism, Um, poison in the food chain, uh, politicians who are gangsters, on and on. (laughs) We have projected this, and we can change this. Yes. So 
at the end of the day is consciousness, and at the beginning of the day also is consciousness. That's it. There is only consciousness. Yes. Experiencing it with itself in infinite modes of knowing, awareness, and experience, and interpretations thereof. Exactly. So, you know, we have these old ideas, of course, Deepak, of maya, or mm -hmm. in the Japanese Buddhist uh, tradition, makyo. The idea yes. of an illusory reality, which you're Correct. constantly referring to here, it reminds me, in a sense, of the Truman Show, where yes. everything is like an enclosure, but it we is. right, but we can yeah. poke outside. So you're positing, needless to say, as all all the sages of of old, that one can. Uh, access a meta position, if you will, and the meta reality in that meta position. Correct, because the enclosure has leaky margins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. And there's a cosmic joke seeking yes. to to seep in, if you will, right? Right, absolutely. So what is? How would you say there? We could access it in a sense for practical value for improving our well, through contemplative life. practices through contemplative practices self-reflection who am i what do i want what's my purpose what am i grateful for yeah self-reflection contemplative self-inquiry mindful awareness of perception and the body uh -huh. and what's happening in the body witnessing the mind as well because if you can witness your mind then you're not the mind the, yeah. the ex experience of the mind is in consciousness also so mind is modified consciousness and the fact that you can observe a thought is enough proof that you are the observer of a thought and not the thought itself exactly it's so you know it's so funny as they say reality is just staring at us in the face but we just won't see it in the way a fish cannot experience water, water. because it's in it yes that's right that's right so once we kind of acknowledge and recognize that we are not the thought, we're not the feeling, we're not the body, then that gives us, you could say, leverage over that level of reality. Correct. And also gives us the ability to express it in a different way. Uh-huh. And project it in a different way. Could you talk about that? Do we use language? Do we use imagery? What is the no, way we, we use uh, contemplative techniques that have been there forever and also mindful awareness of perception of the five senses of the body, of what's happening inside the body, mm -hmm. what's happening in mental space, what's happening in the web of relationships in the ecosystem, and where is this happening that is transcendence through meditation. So these techniques have been there forever, and uh, they're suddenly becoming more popular. Well, you know, we have you to thank and Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. You are very Beatles. kind. You have many, many people to thank. <laughs> many, many people, people thank. Uh, Shivananda and many, yes. many others, East right. and West. Uh, yes. No, I, I, I'm, I'm being a little playful, but in right. fact, you really have had a major voice in this space and helping well, people thank become you very much. truly, thank truly. You become more uh, acquainted with the ideas through your work in Carlsbad and, you know, of course, your many, many books and teachings and all. Uh, so, you know, we are dealing with a nightmare in so many ways. We're dealing with a world abundant in suffering. And, of course, the Buddha and many others have always said this for countless thousands of years. 
where where do you see us based on the I know it sounds funny, but based on the past, what are your inklings, Deepak, about what our future can potentially portend uh, based on where we are right now? I think we are at a crossroads. Uh, One road leads to extinction, and the other leads to a new creativity, and it all depends on critical mass. And I think if we can create an ecosystem both online and offline, of seva, which is service, sangha, which is community, both online and offline. Mm -hmm. And then the last word in Sanskrit is simran, which means spiritual practice. Then uh, perhaps we can create a better world. And Ah, the choice is ours right now. Sound of that. (laughs) That has a certain resonance with me. Yes, you know, we just celebrated our 26 years on the air, actually, this Friday night. Wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Wonderful. So, you are on this path, you are traveling the country, you are on a national book tour to help wake people up, if you will. That's a phrase, of course, that mm-hmm. you use all the time and mm-hmm. many spiritual teachers have forever. And uh, the awakening is slow and gradual, but it's happening. Yeah, um, it's happening. It's I think happening. we see evidence for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How would you describe the receptivity that you're finding? Is it's it different? Good. Than yes, definitely. Of time. Definitely, it's very different than 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. But there's still a lot of cynics out there and critics, and it's all right. They keep us alert on our toes, so we also <laughs> un- begin to question our habitual certainties. I think we all need to question our hab- habits yeah. of thinking and yeah. being so cocksure of what we think we know. Yes, exactly. It keeps us humble and searching, actually, right? So, no, I very much appreciate that. You know, uh, the other night I was at United Palace Theater. Uh, oh, yeah. to Heather Shea, and you yeah, and I thank chatted. You. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was wonderful. Yeah, we had, had a, a great experience. Photographs. Yeah, wasn't that fantastic? And Jean yeah. Houston, oh, God. Yeah, I love that woman. Great. Yeah, Thank and you. she so adores you. Uh, one of the images that you shared that I thought was just so wonderful was you described the perception of a butterfly <laughs> and yes. how radically that different it is from ours. Would right. you share with our audience a little bit about Well, uh, the painted lady, as the butterfly is called, yes. smells the world through antenna, tastes the world through legs, um, hears it through her wings and looks at it through 30,000 lenses that uh, change like a kaleidoscope, presumably giving it a shimmering experience of forms and colors. So I can't even imagine what that reality would be <laughs> or that of a snake that uh, yeah. uh, navigates experience through infrared or a bat that knows the world through the echo of ultrasound and on and on. You know, we think that the picture of the world is the look of it when it's actually a unique way of looking at it. So true. And the body-mind is not who you are. The body-mind is the instrument of observation. Yes, exactly, exactly. So that line in itself is literally breakthrough wisdom. 
<laughs> I hope so. You know, I mean, if yeah, we break through, but it has been around for a long time. <laughs> yes, it's been around, but it seems like it has to be delivered in so many different packages. That's true. With different turns of phrase and different nuances, and honestly, actually, probably different types of humor. Yeah, uh, that's true. Right? That's all true. To Absolutely. actually deliver, exactly. So. Yeah, humor is uh, comfort with paradox and contradiction and ambiguity. That's what humor is, and that's why we laugh because we do realize that we made it all up (laughs) exactly and that's why i had invited swami beyondananda the cosmic comic to help celebrate our 26th year on the air (laughs) wonderful wonderful. because it's that that kind of energy i find in the work that i've been doing for so many years wonderful the humor really brings us to a next level of uh, understanding quite honestly that's true it's just kind of uh pardon the expression funny so indeed so you're out on the west coast now you were Mm -hmm. just here you're traveling to and speaking in santa cruz in denver i mean you have an entire array of talks you're giving to present the material on the book that's true i'm enjoying anything are you enjoying it yeah yes Well, you know, you're always out there um, talking about this in one way or another. You know, your your work on super genes. I mean, that's a whole other place of contrast and and of mythical myth making, if you will, in our society. Deepak, that's right. Do you do you have a moment that you could just share a word about that genetic idea versus the creative one? Well, you know, genes um, are stretches of DNA that code for proteins. That's all they are. And now that we know the science of epigenetics, we know that every experience, mental, emotional, perceptual, and even the interpretation of experience changes the activity of our genes. And then we also have bacterial genes in our body, 10 times more or 20 times more than human genes. Then we have uh, the sheath of proteins that we call the epigenome that all interact together uh, to bring about homeostasis or self-regulation or healing in our body. And therefore, once we understand this, then, you know, with very simple pillars of well-being are what are doing the job, sleep, stress management, nutrition, emotions, relationships, food, experiences in nature. This is how we keep a healthy body-mind so that we can keep the instrument going for the observation that we call the human experience. So we know that our entire uh, culture is steeped in this belief system that we are our genes. And so it's called the superstition of matter. That's right. That's what a beautiful phrase for it. Yeah. But the problem is that some women are having their beautiful breasts removed from their bodies out of the fear that they have that gene, you know. Well, listen, uh, we have to be careful how we phrase that because there are certain gene mutations that are fully penetrant. Only 5%, but still they are. Uh, fully penetrant, and for that uh, soon there'll be technologies like CRISPR where you can cut and paste a gene, but by and large, genes are malleable, 
and uh, influenced by human experience. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's true for more than 90% of disease-related gene mutations. But there are a minority right now that we do not have a solution to at the moment. Yes. But, you know, that's curious. In light of a worldview or a, a cosmo view, if you will, that says that mind and body are in this particular relationship. Yeah, but then you can also look at genes as a particular expression of karma, which is the interpretation of okay. past experience. So, okay. you know, it doesn't really get rid of the notion that consciousness is ultimate, but consciousness can be modified in ways that um, are predictable and if it's recycled that way, then you end up with a fully penetrant gene. I see. Okay. Well, you, you understand where I'm going with this. Yeah, right? I am going, but you can't be so radical that you tell people, you know, if you have a Baraka gene, don't ignore it. You can't do that yes. right now. Yes. Okay? No, I understand. So, yeah. in a sense, what you're saying is what's fixed now may become, may become uh, fluid Correct. down the road. Yes. Is that the idea? Yeah, well, if we understand the mechanics right. of um, right. how consciousness conceives, governs, constructs, and becomes what we call the physical reality. Yes, yes I hear you. You know, because needless to say, there's sort of a, a temptation that what is the nature of reality is a question that, you know, many of us ask each other. Well, that's ask what the book is right? about. The book is about meta-reality and meta-human, which is what is sure. reality beyond the conditioned mind, yes. Exactly, exactly. So when we look, if it looks like the nature of reality and reality itself, if you will, is fluid in nature and that mind really uh, and consciousness really is in a sense um, everything so-called material is subordinate to it or an outcropping of it, even better, then you think, well, you know, where are there limitations if so, you know, in the, in the deepest realm of possibilities, there are no limitations in the realm of infinite possibilities. But matter and mind are both the same thing. Yes. They're the conditioning of consciousness yes. experienced different, in different ways. So there is no, mind is not superior to matter, nor is matter superior to mind. They're both um, correlated activities yes. in consciousness part and parcel of the same yeah. phenomenon, if you will. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I'd love to ask you if um, kind of a flight of fantasy, um, what could you, if you had your way, and people who come to your talks all over the country and who read the book and they absorb it and they say, yes, I knew it was true, but I forgot. And, uh, but now Deepak has reminded me again, and I feel reinvigorated to be paying attention to my thoughts. I'm going to in engage those two contemplative techniques you referenced. Uh, what do you see as a potential outcome of all this, Deepak? I see the possibility of a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier, and joyful world. <laughs> a man after my own heart. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> okay. And so you think that there could be a, a shift in consciousness great enough that that could be affected? 
Yeah, remember those three words, seva, service, sangha, community, yes. and simran, spiritual practice. That's what we need on a collective level, and we can do it by creating these communities both offline and online. Absolutely. That's one of the missions of the Chopra Foundation. I love it. Now, you know there is this notion of uh, the hundredth monkey, you know, the work of uh, morphogenetic fields and Rupert Sheldrake and all this. Talk about the way that we influence each other and influence reality, which is part and parcel of what you're talking about. So when you are talking about a shift, or we are, of consciousness of people, of sentient beings, um, are we possibly talking about a small substrate that would then in turn influence the masses, or yeah, must well, it be days, a large collective shift? These days they talk about early adopters, and then they talk about critical mass, and then they talk about projected reality, and they also talk about emergence. So when people have shared vision, when they are open and transparent, when their system is open to feedback, when they are bonded together emotionally with no ego agenda, then emergence does happen. And that's uh, a whole science now called emergence. Yes. So interesting. And it's also interesting from my point of view that a lot of the neuroscience that's emerging these days also is indicating that our Another myth, uh, the Darwinian uh, survival of the fittest myth, is really nothing more than that. Um, In a sense, it's a historical deception. And it has really been our ability to cooperate and form sangha, basically, community, uh, that has kept us alive and laughing and smiling and storytelling and engaging each other through the development of oxytocin and the rest is really, I'm saying this, of course, to an endocrinologist, you know, that that's really what's kept us alive. Comments on that? Yeah, Yeah, I think Darwinian mechanistic evolution is up for revision. Uh, there's no question that there is a phenomenon called natural selection. Yeah. But uh, I think that natural selection is uh, under uh, in, is influenced by collective consciousness, yeah. at least for the human evolution. Yes, I hear you. I hear you. It's so interesting, and I'm I'm really encouraged to hear you talk about this notion that we really can move the game forward and through this accessing the meta-reality is our entry point into shifting the way the world is operating right now and what the belief systems are that prevail. What we call everyday reality is a product of uh, our consciousness, which conceives, governs, constructs, and becomes the experience that we embed ourselves in. Absolutely, absolutely. And you also, by the way, in the book, something I I so appreciate is you're bringing forward uh, numerous studies that just underlie and corroborate this whole idea, such as the idea that someone, when they are told that they have, going back to genes for a moment, they have a gene that uh what was it that that would uh keep them from being able to 
lose weight, that they have sort of the obesity gene, right. and then the others. Could you share with our audience? Well, the that study I quoted was that yes. if the, uh, people were told they had a gene that caused obesity, then that gene apparently got activated when they were told that they didn't have that gene, that activity of that particular gene also got uh, deactivated. So it's not really the gene, it's, it's how the gene gets activated through both experience and interpretation of experience. That's what epigenetics is. Indeed. Indeed. Absolutely. And, you know, of course, I'm uh, thrown to remember uh, the work of Milton Erickson and Ernest Rossi, who have done so much in the oh, yeah. domain of, well, hypnotherapy. But mm -hmm. if you look at that influence of language slash belief system, you know, Correct. to believe, right? Yeah. Uh, we're talking about creating a whole new reality and the influence of, of, of mind over genes and cells, you know, a la Bruce Lipton. And, right, exactly. Yeah. In the work of uh, consciousness, what it really is. It's what, where are you? I, I know I asked the question to start with Deepak, but I, I just love to hear what you have to say about what you personally think about that relationship of how far we can go in upsetting even, you know, not, not quantum physics, because it's allowable there, but even conventional physics. And the second law of thermodynamics. No, I think all, all physics and all quantum physics and all mathematics is yes. uh, humanly constructed. So I don't think science is the answer. Uh, I think uh -huh. uh, knowing the origins of experience. So it's not enough to know. It is, it is more important to know the source of knowing, which is pure consciousness which is infinite possibilities, infinite creativity, the source of intention and experience. It's also unpredictable. That's why it's creative. So you ultimately have to transcend all systems of thought and all systems of belief, including scientific systems of thought. And nobody knows, none of these systems of thought talk about the origin of thought or the source of thought. And the source of thought is also the source of perception. It's also the source of imagination. It's also the source of creativity, of insight, intuition. Mm -hmm. So unless we transcend thought, we are still going to be bamboozled. <laughs> yes. Very interesting. Very interesting. Sure. So from that point of view, science is, as you said the other night uh, in New York, that uh, – Science is the present-day story, narrative. Yes, of, it is, and it's a successful know. story. Without it, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation. Correct. So science has a great adventure that human consciousness has undertaken, but it is a system of thought without knowing the source of thought. Yes, exactly. So you're really leading us to something underneath it all. Yes. Well, yeah, consciousness is the ontological primitive. There's nothing behind consciousness. It's without cause, it's irreducible, and it's infinite. And that's our source. Yes, indeed, indeed. I'm thinking about, as you were speaking, I, I uh, remembered a quote and uh, dug up the details of a quote of uh, Augustine that has some 
bearing on this. Oh, absolutely. Uh, right? Yeah. Uh, the well, At least one of his many uh, brilliant statements is, uh, miracles are not contrary to nature, but only contrary to what we know about nature. Yeah, once again, I would say that uh, existence is a miracle, period, and then yeah. you don't have to elaborate. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's very Zen-like of you, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Both so, awareness of existence and existence are inexplicable, period. Yeah. yeah, it's really true. And you made that point eloquently the other night. I mean, you know, what we have come to assume right. uh, as not not just as real, but the fact that we are alive and that mm. there is a breathing mechanism and a seeing Correct. and a knowing mechanism is extraordinary. You know, the gift of yeah. life. Yeah. You know, and we we live in this assumptive, presumptive space. And uh, then all of the issues and nightmares, as you well right. put it. Everything starts with an assumption. Science starts with an assumption that matter is real. And it can take you so far, but then the assumption ultimately falls apart. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I know your time is uh, yes, short I and you're going another. from <laughs> yes. one to another. Is there right. a, a last thought you'd like to sh leave with our audience for our yeah, uh, Exchange your thinking uh, for bewilderment and then you'll be right on the course. Too much thinking is not good. The ability to not think is far superior than the ability to think. <laughs> That's beautiful. Deepak Chopra, thanks so much for being a thanks, guest on Your World. Thanks for having me. Thank you Great very much. Bye-bye. Keep bye -bye. up the beautiful Thank work, you, and we'll talk another time. Thank you, Mitchell. Sure. Thank bye -bye you. Bye. Deepak Chopra, who is, as I said at the beginning, just uh, one of my favorites of all time. He is a uh, uh, penseur extraordinaire, that's for sure, even though he said what he did about thinking. Uh, nonetheless, he has done a lot of thinking that has helped to bring our society to another level of uh, depth, I would say, and of understanding. So we have much to thank him for. In fact, uh, we first met long ago, and I think it was around 1992, when Dr. John Hagelin of the Natural Law Party that was just formed recently then uh, was running for President of the United States and uh, Deepak was helping to support and advocate his candidacy and well, so was I. And uh, I had then, since then, several times as well in 1996 and 2000 and I had interviewed John a number of times for Better World TV and was a very strong supporter of his. Uh, I think that it, wor the world would be a very different place, and it would have been including some of the sensible, um, metapositional ideas that Deepak was just speaking with us about. And, uh, yeah, we need to bring this kind of wisdom and thoughtfulness into the body politic and body economic as well as uh, into our own personal lives. So for that, I'm deeply grateful to Deepak and his work over the course of so many decades. I want to just remind all of you that in light of his current uh, travels, 
around the country. He will be in a number of places uh, on the West Coast and elsewhere, and I am looking right now for his uh, schedule because I have a little bit of it coming up right here indeed. He is uh, in Seattle now speaking and will be in Santa Cruz coming up, Los Angeles, San Diego, um, Santa Fe, Denver, Colorado. So this month is just rich and rife, if you will, with uh, talks on the subject called MetaHuman, Unleashing Your Infinite Potential. So uh, if you are in any of those states and cities, I would strongly recommend you give this uh, a, a real metahuman effort and show up. In fact, uh, Santa Cruz is October 17th, and that's going to be, well, everywhere is going to be a wonderful, wonderful time for those who gathered. I was just at, as I mentioned, United Palace Theater, which is a remarkable place in itself uh, in Washington Heights in New York City. It's truly a palace. And uh, Heather Shea, CEO, and others, Gene Houston is, I think, on the uh, board, chairman of the board there, they have utterly transformed this place, which must have been beautiful back in the 1930s, uh, also uh, into it's truly palatial. And it's a lot of fun. The energy field is extraordinary. It's all about social artistry, which, of course, is one of Jean's, her main theme for many, many years. And uh, Deepak's being there is an expression of such social artistry. The place was packed, and his brilliance was flowing. And uh, it was all about this book, MetaHuman, that we were just speaking about for the past half hour or so. So I want to just uh, remind you all that uh, my interview will be posted here at abetterworld.tv. Just go under Radio Archive. You'll be able to hear it again if you would like, if you didn't hear it yet. Uh, and his book tour is bringing him to all of the cities I mentioned, and he is continuing on to promote these ideas about the role of consciousness in everyday living so we can shift from the state we are currently in, which is, you know, as the Buddha said, one of immense suffering. And it's just unnecessary. That's what one realizes when one embarks upon the path of self-seeing, of self-observation, of recognition, that we are not our mind, we are not our thoughts, we are not our feelings, we are not our body. And that space of seeing that uh, gives us that potential for shifting the whole game. And indeed, it really is a game in so many respects. The only thing is the way we've constructed it is ever so sad in so many ways. And yet, also, the paradox is that we have so many beautiful gifts in our world, in our cultures, uh, language and art and
and music and dance and theater and sport and and love and invention and technology and creativity and laughter. There is so much that we know so well that we so adore and appreciate. And there's a part of our consciousness that has allowed us to uh, continue with the war motif or as Carl Jung would refer to, the shadow. And it follows us around until we are ready and willing to shift. And of course, that's what Deepak Chopra is really calling us to, as are all of the great teachers of the past and now. So uh, let's get on with it, folks. What do you say to that one? So I uh, want to just thank all of you for tuning in. Please uh, sign up for our free newsletter at www.abetterworld.tv. Uh, realize that we are a nonprofit. If you are able to make donations, please just contact me directly, best that way, at mjr at abetterworld.net. And we also have a series of services and uh, different types of things that you can benefit from all designed to create a better world for us personally and collectively. You can also go to triple.mitchellrabin.com, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-R-A-B-I-N.com for some of the counseling and coaching and advisory services available as well. So again, thank you all. Thank you, Deepak, for being a guest today and speaking about your wonderful, important work MetaHuman, Unleashing Your Infinite Potential. And on that note, tune in next week, and I look forward to seeing you all then. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. Talk to you soon.